morning. Welcome to Forest Heights Baptist Church this morning. We're going to start off with a video talking about Lottie Moon. So like you said, medical missionaries is such an opportunity for um, people around the world. I worked with um, uh, students through SIMI now who had opportunities um, to do medical missionaries. For those of you who don't know, SIMI now is an organization um, that allows college students to go on mission trips for free. Um, it's funded by you, in case you did not know. Um, but those students are working with 
these um, IMB missionaries. And it's an incredible experience for them. Um, like he said, they can't do it alone. Um, this is a whole big C church thing. Um, and this is something that from, from start to finish, the funding, um, praying, going to the field, uh, supplying them with medical uh, equipment to medicine, um, to actually being there for those those kids, um, the the students who are, are medical students who are there to get medical experience in the field, um, so just helping them um, uh, actually help the other kids um, who need that medical treatment, um, to really being the ones who are being blessed because no one is really blessed more than than the ones who are uh, doing the serving. Honestly, it's an incredible experience. Um, but uh, from start to finish, like I said, um, Big C Church, you guys are a part of it. Um, and so that's why Lottie Moon is such a huge deal um, because we, uh, this is the only time throughout the year that these missionaries are funded. Um, Right now, we still only have $50 of the $9,000. Um, so I realize the envelope has not come up in your box yet, but there are some back there uh, next to the offering plates by DJ and Ben. Um, wave, guys. So you can pick it up. You can just write a check. It's totally fine. The world will not end if you give early. Um, so we're on our way. 9000 is the goal. This is actually the 75th anniversary of the IMB, and so as such, I believe their goal is like 75 million, 750. It's something to do with 75, which is a lot of money. I don't really know, um, but we're a part of it, and I'm not sure. Anywho's, um, because of that, um, let's just you know continue to give prayerfully, um, be a part of it. Um, there are now little pamphlet thingies in the back. Disregard the fact that it's the date range is last week. Doesn't matter. Um, the people in the pamphlets are the people from the videos. Pray for them. Pray for all of our IMB missionaries um, that you don't get to meet during these eight, seven, whatever days, weeks, I mean. Um, and yeah, keep giving. Tangentially related. Today is the last day for Operation Christmas Child. We have collected 168 boxes. Give it up. Huge thanks to Tanya and Brittany and everybody who helped um, with the organization and all of the packing and um, to everyone who is going to help bring those boxes to the uh, facility sometime this week. I believe that's Miss Thomas. Um, uh, so yeah, Daniel. Be a part of not only the Lottie Moon Christmas offering. Uh, please give to that. Please prayerfully give to that above and beyond your tithe. And also uh, for Operation Christmas Child. Let's all stand and sing holy, holy, holy.
thank you for this wonderful day, a day that you made. We thank you for this opportunity to be with one another, but especially to be in your presence to worship you and, and to lift you up throughout this service. And that is our heart's desire is for you to be glorified. And so, Lord, we just pray that uh, by you working in our hearts and our lives through the music, through the uh, message and the word that uh, the Holy Spirit We'll be able to uh, do just that, to draw us close to you, to bring us into your presence in a unique and powerful and wonderful way, and, and that we'll leave this place rejoicing because we've been with you in, in this way, this special way, and that we've allowed you to speak to our hearts and our souls, and, and we've allowed you to work in us uh, the way that you desire to work, and uh, may we leave stronger and uh, more excited about serving you and uh, knowing that you're in charge and that you're going to uh, lead us and guide us in the direction that we need to go and we're going to see your hand at work in a mighty ways. So uh, just help us throughout the remainder of this service to be all that we need to be in bringing honor and glory to your name in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Before we okay. Sorry. Uh, before we continue, we got a couple of announcements. Um, one, we've got our Thanksgiving meal coming up in two weeks, um, the Thursday or the Tuesday before Thanksgiving. That is the 26th um, at 6 p.m. Um, yeah, it's the it is the Tuesday before Thanksgiving, 26th um, at 6 p.m. We've got a sign up in the back as well, um, and also as we mentioned before, Lottie, and we've also got. Um, Thankfully, we got the Operation Christmas Child. So we'll go ahead and continue and sing, Holy Spirit, Thou Art Welcome.
all stand and sing, O Church Arise.
Once again, it's good to see you, and it's good to be with those that are watching. I'd like for you to turn in your Bibles to Matthew chapter 22. Matthew chapter 22. We're finishing up this chapter. Uh, as we have already talked about, and as we know, as we've been going through Matthew, the this is a journey, uh, Jesus' journey to Jerusalem. He's in Jerusalem now. We know that soon he's to be approaching the cross and to die on the cross and be resurrected. But before this happens, uh, the story's not ended yet and it's not begun yet with the resurrection of Jesus that we'll see soon. But uh, we're, we're going to be looking at a group that <clears throat> has been trying to entrap Jesus. They've been trying to uh, you know, bring him down before his followers and also before the government, uh, but they failed. You know, uh, here in America, deeply instilled in, in the Americans is the notion of fair play. may not always occur, but that's instilled in, in, in the uh, lives of the people here in America. You just think about it. Go back to when you were a child, if you can remember back that far. And uh, as you look back at and you think about children, what, what happens when you're playing games? Well, one group does something, and what happens? Next group says, it's now what? My turn. It's only fair play. And uh, then teenagers, when we get older, you know, you... Uh, you Playing in sports. You see this all the time. You see it today, don't you? I mean, there's the team with the ball. They have a chance, opportunity to score. The other team gets it after that. They have that opportunity to score. And so it just goes back and forth. It's only right. Then when you uh, become adults, you know, what happens there? <clears throat> Everyone should pay their fair share. That's what we say, don't we? Doesn't always happen, but uh, we see that. We've seen it with the debates, you know, just recently, with the presidential debates, you know. 
uh, it was supposed to be one said something and the other one had an opportunity to say something and go back and forth. Didn't always work out that way. Matter of fact, very seldom does it anymore. But it's only right to have your chance. You know, turnabout is fair play. Well, <clears throat> we're going to see this with Jesus and the Pharisees. Pharisees have been constantly hounding him, pressuring him with questions, trying to put him on the spot. They've been continually asking him questions to trap him, to make him look foolish before his followers, or to make him look guilty before the government. Of course, they failed in every attempt. And the reason being that Jesus never was guilty, never will be guilty. His intent was right, and he always knew their intent coming from an evil heart. So he was prepared. In Matthew, we've just looked at Jesus being asked three questions by different groups, primarily backed and, and promoted by the Pharisees, right? The religious groups. And it was designed to entrap him once again. And the groups uh, who asked the questions, they had to end up leaving impressed and satisfied with the answer because they, they, they couldn't refute it in any way. But being impressed and satisfied doesn't mean that they accepted him as Messiah. Matter of fact, it just infuriated them even more. And so uh, there was more animosity that built up in their lives and in their hearts. So the Pharisees were still hanging around. They had not left. And then Jesus turns to them and he says, okay, now it's my turn. Turn about is fair play. Now, he didn't say that, but that's, you know, this is what we're seeing. And Jesus' aim was not only to vindicate himself, but to reveal to the hypocrites <clears throat> for what they really were and what they were trying to do. And also to offer grace one more time for them to repent of their sins and to acknowledge him as Savior as son of David. And so Jesus, in essence, <clears throat> is saying, okay, enough of these silly questions. I'm going to take you to the heart of the matter. This question should answer all your questions concerning me. He said, now, while the Pharisees were gathered together, in verses 41 through 46, Jesus asked them a question saying, What do you think about Christ? Whose son is he? Boy, this was a loaded question. But they didn't realize how loaded it was because he was going to really get to the nitty-gritty in just a few moments. The most important question in the world is what? Who is Jesus Christ? Because, you see, it was important then just as it's important now because if you answer this incorrectly, that will doom you for all eternity. 
So you better answer it correctly. You better know it. One of the reasons that we have so many unchurched Americans are better character, characterized as some uh, theologians are, are saying today, de-churched, because they were really never a part of the church, really. It's because these people, many of them feel that, and this is their description of the church, that the church is too restrictive. Now understand this, that the church is too exclusive. You see what I'm saying? And that with their exclusiveness in their claims of Christianity, they don't accept uh, other religions. So, these who are de-churched support the shift away from biblical Christianity towards other belief patterns. Often these are the ones who claim to be spiritual, but spiritual without being religious. There's a big difference there. When those who claim to be spiritual and they're without religion, they plummet into various forms of cult religion, mysticism, and other things of that sort. Why? Because they're relying more on their feelings than and their affections than on doctrinal truth. They usually depart from Christ being the only way to heaven. They claim that we're all going to the same place. And I can remember when a, uh, a theologian that I really enjoyed and I liked and took theology under him um, wrote a book along this way, The Death of Christ, that religion or religious people are just people on a wheel. The spokes are all going to the same place, just different ways. To them, Christianity has become just another religion. No more and no less important than any other religion. Islam, Hinduism, Buddhism, Confucianism, Shintoism, Ism, 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 and cults. Many of these religious cults teach that Jesus, they teach about Jesus. They teach that Jesus was a prophet of God. Or at least a great religious leader. But they don't teach him as a savior or the savior, the only way to heaven. They don't teach that he is, was, and always will be the son of God. That he came as man but yet remained God. That he was divine and continues to be divine. And so this is where the battle lines of biblical Christianity are drawn. And that is Jesus' divinity. A distorted view of God can only lead to what? A false belief. Now we have people today that say that we're too exclusive. That we're too harsh. 
saying things like that, why can't we accept and be all-inclusive and bring other people in? Because if we do, we're sending people to hell. We're just telling them, go right to hell. Accept whatever you want to accept. Go to hell. A key to having a correct view of God comes only through Jesus Christ and Him alone. But that correct view can only be built and accepted by way of yielding your life to the Holy Spirit as He convicts you and then building upon it through the Word of God by way of the Holy Spirit teaching you. Christianity has always found its most violent detractors and enemies in those who deny the divinity of Jesus Christ. And most of those detractors presume to go under the name, unfortunately, of Christians. Just like these Pharisees, religious people. So, Let's look at the lead-up question here in Matthew 22, 41 through 42. Now, while the Pharisees were gathered together, Jesus asked them a question saying, What do you think about the Christ? Whose son is he? And they said to him, The son of David. Now, that sounds good. That sounds right. And we'll talk about this in just a moment. Jesus did not ask him directly, Well, who do you think I am? He asked them this question because... He knew that they knew something about the Messiah, the son of David. And he wanted to show them through this questioning, through this process, that he represented, that he was this person. So, although he often had declared his Messiahship and his divinity, here he does it. The Lord wanted them to focus on their concept and work from their concept to understanding that he is the Messiah. He wanted to bring them from that concept, put questions in their mind to make them think and begin to think and say, wow, hoping that they would think that he could be the Messiah. So here Jesus is dealing with it. And their identity was correct, but... Not correct enough. It didn't go deep enough. And so he refers to Psalm 110. He first establishes a pattern for interpreting the scripture. He says, okay, let's go to what I'm saying, what I'm about to say, what I'm about to talk about, and what you know about, and let's build upon it. Let's build upon it from scripture. So Psalm 110 was a popular psalm. And it especially became popular with the disciples, didn't it? I mean, it was, it was referred to more than any other psalm in the New Testament by them. So, uh, the reason for this is very clear, that it was the greatest and the clearest of the Messianic psalms. Uh, psalm 2 and 22 and 45 and 72 and, and, uh, you know, and others contain Messianic elements but this one psalm 110 was a about a divine king exclusively so this king had been placed at the right hand of god in heaven 
And the king is presently also engaged in extending his spiritual role or rule throughout the entire earth. So Psalm 110 teaches us about the divine messianic figure being Jesus Christ, but it describes him as priest and performing priestly functions. Also, this psalm teaches that he is to be a judge, a king who judges. And this will come at the end of time when he'll pronounce the final judgment on the nations of the peoples of the earth. Robert Reynolds was a, a, a great expositor, and especially on Psalm 110, that was what he was known for above everything else. And he was back in the uh, 1600s. And this is what he said about it. He said, this is one of the fullest and most uh, compendious uh, or uh, you know, prophecies of the person and offices of Christ in the whole Old Testament. He went on to describe it and he said it teaches about the doctrines uh, like this. The doctrine of Trinity, the incarnation, the sufferings, the uh, resurrection, the ascension, the in intercession of Jesus Christ, the communion of saints the last judgment, the remission of sins, and the life everlasting. Wow, a lot contained in there, isn't it? And so, Jesus refers them to this. It was concise, but yet it contained a well-rounded picture of the Messiah. Now, the, you know, here in these verses, he says, What do you think about the Christ? And Christ, of course, in the Greek is Christos. And it means what? Anointed one. So it's equivalent uh, of the Hebrew and Greek word for Messiah. And he says, in other words, who do you think this Messiah is? And so Jesus wanting the Pharisees to uh, uh, to focus on what they already believed about the identity of the Messiah, he asked them, who do you think, whose son is he? And the question referred to, of course, the biological lineage here. Now, to the Pharisees and most other Jews, the answer was simple. And it was obvious. And they were correct in, in their answer, but not complete in their answer they just didn't dig deep enough they should have known because he goes on and quotes further in the psalm and reveals some things that they were just at all at and so they believe the messiah to be a man but only a man and the only identity of the messiah that they took was from the picture of the son of david Mark in his gospel tells us that the scribes had long taught that the Christ is the son of David in Mark 12. So they had, had understood this, that he would be a son of David. Through the prophet Nathan, the Lord promised David, when your days are complete and you lie down with your fathers, I will raise up your descendant after you who will come forth from you. 
and I will establish his kingdom. He shall build a house for his name, and I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. Key word there, forever. We need to remember that. My loving kindness shall not depart from him, as I took it away from Saul, whom I removed from before you. And your house and your kingdom, here's another important phrase, shall endure before me forever. Your throne shall be established forever. 2 Samuel 7. The promise sounds, when we first read it, you'll build a house for me. It sounds kind of like Solomon, doesn't it? Because what did he do? He built a house for God, didn't he? The temple. But one thing that we need to realize and we need to recognize that was also in that description that did not come about with Solomon was his kingdom did not last forever. Matter of fact, what happened to it? It divided, didn't it? And it hasn't been since. And so others prophet also spoke uh, other prophets also spoke of uh, the Messiah as the son of David coming to set up his kingdom. So in Psalm 110, 1 and in other places, we're told that the Messiah's kingdom will last forever. Now, this could only be speaking of a future kingdom because it's not going on now. It didn't after the division and, and uh, the uh, doing away with that kingdom. So uh, we see uh, him also mentioning something about the son and it being David's greater son. He says, uh, you know, uh, he talks about this in Psalm 110 and we'll talk about it also in referring to it in Jeremiah. It says, when I raise up for David a righteous branch... The Lord said, he will reign as king and act wisely and do justice and righteousness in the land. In his days, Judah will be saved and Israel will dwell securely. And this is his name by which he will be called the Lord, our righteousness. Now, David was not the Lord, our, righteous, our righteousness, was he? Nor Solomon, nor any king after that. So throughout Matthew's gospel, Jesus is focused as the son of David. And he begins with his abbreviated genealogy in Matthew. And he, he's held it frequently by individuals. He's, he heals people and they say, you're the son of David. And uh, then, uh, then by the crowds here in Jerusalem. Now when Jesus asked questions to the Pharisees, the answer they gave, of course, was partially true. And the title, Son of David, that the crowds had been hailing for him was, they thought, too great for Jesus. It shouldn't be referred to Jesus because he's not the Son of David. But according to scriptures, it was too limited for Jesus. So uh, the uh, theologian Carson, uh, Carson notes, this view, though not wrong, is too simple because, as Jesus points out, David called the Messiah Lord, Master. This is declared in Jesus' second question. And so that's what I was talking about, the greater 
David. The one greater than David. And so let's look in verses 43 through 46. This is a knockout question that lets us know that he's more than just a human being. He's more than just what they were looking for. They didn't dig deep enough. And he said to them, then how does David in the spirit, now that's very important, in the spirit, when he was writing about this, how was he writing it? In the spirit, led by the spirit. Call him Lord, saying, the Lord named King James, the first Lord many times is all caps, and that's referring to Jehovah Yahweh. The Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I put thine enemies behind or beneath thy feet. If David then calls him Lord, how is he his son? Now, how many people call their son? Lord, what shall I do? Lord, tell me where to go. No, they tell their children what to do, don't they? If they're their children. So this is greater son than David. It has to be. And no one was able to answer him a word, nor did anyone dare from that day on to ask him another question. So the first thing that we need to understand is that David was speaking under the inspiration of God. It wasn't David saying this. It was God's spirit leading him. Then how does David in the spirit call him Lord? Psalm 110, which Jesus was was referring to states the Lord says to my Lord sit at my right hand until I make thine enemies a footstool for their feet this is a psalm where David heard a heavenly conversation between the Lord Yahweh capital all capital letters and David's Lord capital letter L O R D Adoniah, which is God, right? So in many English translations, Psalm 110 had the first Lord printed in capital letters to indicate that it stands for Jehovah or Yahweh. It refers to the God of Israel. And the second word for Lord is Adoniah. And it refers to an individual greater than the speaker. It refers to, you know, this individual that is a greater son here. So David is citing a word from God in which God tells another person not yet born who is greater than David to sit at God's right hand until he makes his enemies a footstool for his feet. Now the second thing is, Every Jew recognized Psalm 110 as being written by David. There's no question. It was a, and, and it was a, a very clear messianic passage in the Old Testament. And he was talking about the Messiah in this passage. The Yahweh, the Lord, said to David's Lord, Adonai, sit at my right hand. And third, and most importantly... The psalm was declaring the Messiah's deity. Greater than David. A son 
greater than David. So David, under the inspiration of God, revealed God telling the Messiah to sit at his right hand until I put your, his enemies beneath his feet. So the phrase, sit at God's right hand, in the ancient, ancient world was a very important phrase. It, it meant to occupy a place of honor at a dinner table. But to sit at the king, you know, the Yahweh's right hand, was more than mere honor. It was to share in his rule. It signified participation in the royal dignity and power of that throne. Like a son ruling with his father. And so we're, we're told this by Paul. In Philippians chapter 2, that Jesus has occupied this seat since his resurrection and ascension. It says, therefore God, in verses 9 through 11, exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. So Jesus asked the Pharisees here. He says, if David then calls him Lord, how is he his son? As I said earlier, you don't go around calling your children Lord. He is greater than David. He is the Messiah. He is also the Son of God. Jesus is referring to this passage and was letting the Pharisees know that what he was interpreting for them was no new teaching. It was about the Messiah, but it revealed to them Messiah in a different light. He wasn't just human, he was divine. And he says, you guys should have figured this out. You had the teachers, you had the scribes. You say you worship God. God would have helped you in understanding it if you truly sought it out. But instead, what was Jesus to them? He was despised. He was rejected. He was harassed. He was hated. He was unjustly, as we'll see soon, arrested, tried, and crucified. But God, what did he do? He says, you're not going to do this to my son and leave him in the grave. He's going to be resurrected and he's going to be ascended. And he's going to be ruling and reigning over all of you. He reversed the situation. So, as we come to this, he says, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool for your, uh, uh, under your feet. And so... Uh, or for your feet. So Jesus at the right hand of the Father today is ruling over all things in heaven and earth. And this is God's doing. The question that we need to ask is not whether we will make Jesus Lord or not. He is Lord. And I want to tell you, you better submit to that Lordship. Because He will eventually let us know and all know this. And that lordship will break many because they have refused him. You see, the point is Jesus is the very essence of Christianity. He is Lord. 
And because he is, we need to turn from all known sin and follow him. Ingersoll, well-known and self-proclaimed agnostic, put it well. Of last, he was of last century. He was no friend to Christianity, but he said on one occasion, in a critical vein, Christianity cannot live in peace with any other form of faith. Now this is coming from an agnostic people. Why can't Christians understand that? If that religion is true, he says, there is but one Savior, one inspired book, and but one narrow path that leads to heaven. My goodness! Here is someone that was lost and believes more in the Bible than many that say that they're saved. Or knows the correct way. He didn't believe in it. You see, the devil is hard at work deceiving everyone he can into believing the lie of tolerance and intolerance. D.A. Carson, once again, in his book, Intolerance and of Tolerance, suggests that the shift from accepting the existence of the different views to believing all views are equally valid is subtle in form but massive in substance. It is mass massive in substance because virtually all belief systems, truth claims, moral convictions, and lifestyle choices are now deemed acceptable. That's sad, isn't it? The new tolerance is grounded in what? Relativism. Christians, as, this is how we're viewed as pit bulls of culture wars. We're the mean dogs. But then they go on and describe us not just as pit bulls, small brains, big teeth, strong jaws. And no interest in compromise. When it comes to the truth, we don't compromise. Amen? We shouldn't compromise. I read about a preacher who was visiting a liberal church while in another location, and he attended a Sunday school class where the head of the department taught the young adult class. Boy, what a class to be teaching. I'm glad our young adult teacher does not do this, though. The person that taught, he said that Jesus is one of many ways to salvation. And that all religions, like I described earlier, are like a wheel with spokes leading to the same place. And that's God. With a friendly smile, the visiting preacher, who did not let him know that he was a preacher, I guess, raised his hand and the teacher identified him. And the visiting preacher said, um, may I ask a question? He said, sure. What about scripture? He said, what do you mean? That tells you otherwise. Like John 14.6 and Acts 4.12, where Peter told the ones listening in Acts, there's salvation in no one else. 
God has given no other name under heaven by which we must be saved. And John 14, 6, where Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father except through me. Or what about Paul in 1 Timothy 2, 5? There is one God and one mediator, one who can reconcile God and humanity, the man, Jesus Christ. Teacher shook his head and said, that is really sad. I feel sorry for you going through life so incre incredibly narrow-minded. Wow. You see, the tolerant mindset of today views members of all religions and cults as being on equally valid paths to God. Wouldn't no one path higher or more virtuous than the other. On that equally valid path is also included not believing in any deity at all. So you can be a non-believer and be on the same path as those that are going to God and believe in some type of God. But you know, it really doesn't matter what these others believe in, does it? It matters what God says. Now, we shouldn't be prideful with this, should we? No. But we shouldn't compromise either, should we? And in a loving way, we should just let people know what God says. Jesus tells us, just as he told the Pharisees, that he is the Messiah, the son of David. But he's also the son of God. He tells us in John, as the preacher shared, 14.6, I am the way. I am the truth. No man comes to the Father except through me. People, you may not congregation you may not have been approached by anyone of that fashion you may not have been challenged by anyone of that in that way but let me tell you if you live long enough you will may we not compromise for there will be more and more pressure on believers why because satan knows his time is running out And do you think he's just going to sit by and not put more pressure deceptively on Christians, deceiving the culture and people? He deceives them by saying, oh, that's just talk. They've been saying this for years. And then subtle little lies keep on coming in and more and more pressure begins to be put on Christians and we're looked at as those pit bulls without any brains, very small brains, intolerant, mean, vicious. We'll see it. Even one of the justices declared the freedom of 
Christians as not being there. Not the way it was meant anymore. But you know what? We have a wonderful privilege as believers to be in the family of God, not because of anything we've done, but because of believing in Jesus as the only way. Him taking care of it. Not only that, but we have the wonderful privilege of being called out by God to be witnesses for him in the way we live and what we share with the world, whether they receive it or not, being able to be a part of that body of Christ that does that and realizing that we're not greater than Christ. They rejected him, didn't they, for the most part? I dare the church think that they're any greater than Christ to expect that it should be different for us. And to know that as we go through this and we see changes and we see things happen, that Christ is still on the throne. He's ruling. And guess what? Lives can still be changed. Lives can still be saved. We're just called to be faithful. And thank God that he's using us that way. And knowing that one day, when time is up, we can say, it's finished. And we've done all we can on our part and allowed God to work through us. And he can say, thy good and faithful servant, come home. That's what we want, isn't it? To honor him and glorify him. Let's bow our heads in prayer. Father, thank you for your graciousness. Lord, just to think that we can be a part of this where you can be glorified through us as we submit our lives to you. Thank you, God. And Lord, may our utmost desire be that so that when we're called home, we can just feel good about it, knowing that he's welcoming, welcoming us, you're welcoming us into your presence as a good and faithful servant. Help us strive for that, knowing that that glorifies you in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's stand. God's dealing with your heart and your soul. Won't you come? Shackled by a heavy burden Neath the load of guilt and shame
Thank you, Haley, for making that announcement, and we thank the Lord that uh, the doors are still open for us to send missionaries and help to these missionaries to see people come to know the Lord. I have 175 million. One. Yeah. So we uh, we thank the Lord for that and. Thank you for that, and, and also these Christmas boxes that are going to be sent out to help these children. We thank the Lord for that. Any other announcements? I've got one to make. Yes. Okay. Tanya said we need people staying after church tonight to help load up the boxes. Ten minutes. She said ten minutes. And if it's more than that, then... It'll be more than that. Okay. Uh, anything else? Thank you, Tan. Yeah. Uh, Gail Paul, we talked about good and faithful servant. She met the Lord this morning, so stepped into his presence. So let's be praying for the family, okay? Uh, the daughter said so. Uh, of course, we all do when the Lord comes for us. May struggle physically, but... Spiritually, we peacefully go into his presence. Okay. Anybody else? Okay. Y'all ready to leave rejoicing in the Lord? Amen. 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 Thy 